This is the Gartner Podcast for Supply Chain Leaders. Hello, my name is Thomas O'Connor, and welcome to another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast, where we sit down with some of Gartner's best thinkers, innovators, and leaders to share with you the most up-to-date strategic insights and practical tips you need to drive supply chain success. Today, we'll explore a topic I personally find fascinating, the idea that supply chains will succeed or fail based on the frontline employee experience. And joining us to discuss this topic is my wonderful colleague, Dana Stifler, lead author of our Supply Chain Executive Report on this very topic. Gartner clients, you can check out the research via the link in the show notes or directly on Gartner.com. Dana, it's great to have you. Thank you, Thomas, for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while. All righty. So, Dana, let's get straight into things. We know, particularly in markets like the US and Europe, that frontline labor constraints have been a critical challenge for supply chain leaders over the last 12, 24 plus months. But what is it that's changed that's making you say that supply chain organizations will succeed or fail based on the frontline worker experience? Sure. I Let's get into it. So we knew well before we did this research project that this was a challenge, particularly in uh, North America and also Europe and other economies where aging workforces, adding automation and technology to our manufacturing and distribution operations was changing skill profiles, was leading to talent shortages well before the pandemic. But the pandemic just made everything that much worse. So even if the pandemic hadn't happened, Thomas, we couldn't have kept on doing what we were doing with regard to the frontline employee experience. But the pandemic definitely tipped the scales toward orders not being shipped, lines not running. And we can see that we really couldn't keep going on the, the status quo, what we're really in many cases, what are in some companies still really 20th century employment models. So just some quick data, right? We're going to do snippets of data. So not we don't want to drown people in the data, but we really have some very serious attrition problems in these workforces. And again, it's even more pronounced in, in some markets, particularly the US, uh, but in some other places too. And we're also seeing attrition in desk-based roles, of course, as, as your listeners and, and our clients know. So we're talking about attrition and attraction and retention for the desk-based folks too, but the attrition rates and the churn and the turbulence is more acute for the frontline. So consider some of the data that we have on attrition that compares attrition for the frontline versus attrition for desk-based roles. So some of our HR research surveys, for example, show that a third of respondents are reporting attrition of 20% plus for the frontline. Some are reporting much higher attrition, of course, but only 13% of those respondents said they had that rate of attrition for desk-based roles. So sometimes people call that, these are the folks who can work hybrid or remote, for example. And I can tell you that for our clients and in broader research, that many of them would be delighted to have 20% attrition in their frontline workforce in many cases, and most acutely in warehousing and, and transportation. We routinely have seen over the last couple of years, attrition that is between 50 and 150%. So that has not been unusual. 
So what we wanted to do in, um, in launching this project was to look at some great work that our HR practice had done on what we call a human deal for employees. And could we look at pieces of a human deal and how they might do a better job of attracting and retaining and supporting and engaging frontline workers? So what kind of employment offer would lead to better performance and then better engagement? Really interesting, Dana. Really, really fascinating stuff. And one of the things that it it brings up for me is, you know, when I think about workforce flexibility, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that hybrid piece that you talked about. And, you know, I'm a I'm an office worker, um, just as, you know, you are as uh, I'm guessing many of our listeners here. But the reality is there's this flexibility that's required for the frontline workers as well. And that can look a little bit different. And there's this idea that, that you've talked to me about before previously of flexibility about flexibility. I'd really love to, for you to explain that concept. I think this is really important for where you know, this human deal for frontline workers is going towards. Yes, this was the piece we were really eager to dive into with the, the project. And so when we look at the importance of flexibility about flexibility, we're looking at the fact that if you want to draw from the broadest possible pool of potential employees, people's situations are all really different. So um, the place where we naturally go with the frontline workforce is to the shift structure. So for some frontline workers, a 12-hour shift and perhaps working you know, three days in a row with a 12-hour shift so you can enjoy the rest of your week or work a second job or support your family in other ways might be just the perfect structure. But we know, and you know, you think of the gig economy that certainly emerged in, in recent years, that between the 12-hour shift and then the gig worker who might want to only put in perhaps two to three hours in a day, right? Or typically in a plant or a DC, we're typically talking about a four-hour shift, for example. And some people might just want to work part-time or they might want to fit their job into their life, or they might want to fit a couple of jobs into their life. And offering some of that flexibility where people have different preferences and requirements for how they're living their life, we could see in some outside research and some early Gartner research that this would probably pay fantastic benefits. And, and, and we think that we found some of that. For example, it's not just about flexibility. So I was talking through some of the different, you know, we have a full range of shift flexibility, for example. But think about other kinds of flexibility that you might offer. So connected to some of that gig employment and shift structure is employee choice on how much they work, right? So that's a kind of flexibility. And then you also think about some underserved kinds of flexibility, like maybe you could offer people who are tenured or performing reasonably well, you could offer them more choice about what they work on or potentially who they work with. And our research has shown that employees and candidates would really like more of this flexibility. So a majority of both white collar and blue and pink collar candidates and employees would desire these different kinds of flexibility but only a, a third or less of employers typically offer their employees this kind of flexibility. And the frontline workforce is, is offered the least amount of flexibility compared to some of those, those desk-based workers, those office workers, like you said, Thomas. So 
when we surveyed frontline managers in this report, because this was what was a little bit different about this report, we did not survey frontline employees themselves, although we have done that in different surveys. And we can tell you about that too. We have have plenty of data on what they would like, right? I just walked through it. What they would like is more of different kinds of flexibility. But here we're really talking to managers at the frontline. We're talking to middle managers of physical operations, and we were talking to senior leaders. And The frontline role across this whole project was fascinating. So a full 89% of those frontline managers said that offering these different types of flexibility was effective at retaining their frontline colleagues. Really interesting. And that's a huge proportion, right? Basically 90% of frontline managers saying that it's effective, this flexibility component. It brings me into the mindset of saying, okay, so, you know, we talked about flexibility about flexibility and the effectiveness of flexibility. But when you've got all these different options that are available to you, you know, you can end up in analysis paralysis mode and you're struggling to identify. So what do we even put forward? And then if you're putting forward too many options, do our employees then struggle to respond or identify what to choose and they don't choose the right option? So is there any guidance that you have around how to sort of identify what type of flexibility parameters that that you you should be putting out there? Yes. So in some early experiments that we have, what we have seen is perhaps we'll talk about one of those case studies, I think, in more detail in a moment, right, Thomas? But what we've seen is that sometimes, depending on the specific operation and the teams within that operation, some flexibility arrangements for for shift time and, and choice might have to be piloted. So we have had, for example, experiments and pilots with going full gig, shall we say, right? So let's turn our, let's turn our, our DC or, you know, offer a kind of an Uber type of schedule for the DC. And what we have seen in those early experiments is that just that really has not worked or we, you know, that doesn't mean that it will never work, Thomas. It just means we haven't seen examples of less than four hour shift kind of work. And, you know, a lot of our clients and research subjects tell us, you know, our primary competitors are these gig type employers. A couple of brave souls did pilot some of this, but but where they ended up going back to was to more of a four hour. So they determined after piloting the four hour and maybe some of the the more gig type employment that for them, the four hour was going to be perhaps the sweet spot for kind of the far end of flexibility that they could offer right now. I guess when you're piloting and going through all of this, you're, you're doing a bit of co-creation work, right? You're, you're trying to work with your team to figure out what are the right options for us and try to work through how you can continue to evolve those capabilities. And I'm guessing there's a lot of test and learn that's going on in the environment now when you're, you're talking about these flexibility options. So Dana, you mentioned earlier bringing this into the real world and having a, a real world example that you can share with us. I think that would really you know, help put some meat on the bone here for, for some of our, our listeners and help them understand you know, how this goes from concept, you know, flexibility about flexibility to actually deploying it and that it's not a, a straight shot, right? That it's not something that you just you know, flip the switch and everything's solved. There is some, some challenges as you go along the way, but we'd love to hear about Got some real world examples here, if that's okay. Of course, yes. So we have a great story for you from from GE Appliances, and they're a part of the Higher Corporation, and they have a a massive operations campus in Louisville, Kentucky. In the greater supply chain community, 
they are not someone who had been sitting around kind of on the talent questions and the talent shortage. They've been working on really, I would say, leading edge talent strategies for quite a while, including in the frontline worker space. So throughout the greater Louisville area, their partnerships with local universities, community colleges, technical schools, state and local governments and nonprofits, you know, they've worked really hard, including even with competitors to build a talent foundation in greater Louisville. But the pandemic really put even more strain on especially this manufacturing worker shortage. And so what they ended up doing was, even though a lot of them were very skeptical, there were some leaders that had run across some flexible staffing solutions. So prior to this pilot that I'll, I'll detail for you in a moment, the shifts on offer were 12-hour were shifts and 8-hour shifts. And I've had many clients tell me, Thomas, that some of their primary competitors for this talent are gig employers, for example. And it was unexplored territory. And it was unexplored territory because it, it looked difficult. It looked very disruptive. But one leader found um, a solution. And there are several solutions like this out there that they could they could be looking at. But they wanted to look at a different talent management and staffing model that would give them more flexibility or, you know, where they could access that workforce that really wanted that four-hour flexibility. And so they started working with a partner called My Work Choice. And so this is a combined technology-based, but also a staffing service solution that the My Work Choice employees access through their mobile phone. And so they can choose shifts, trade shifts, et cetera. So what GE Appliances did was they said, you know what, we're a little concerned about this, you know, maybe we're taking a risk, but if it worked, wouldn't it be incredible? And I think they were looking also at some of the data that showed if you are able to offer slightly more flexibility, look at the good things that can happen with retention and performance. So they started a small pilot last year in the summertime. And they brought in the partner's implementation team for two weeks to observe their operation and gather data on one line, a less volatile line. So this is important, Thomas. They piloted this with one of their lines that was more stable and that had good good leadership and stable leadership, which is key. So you're not going to always have that, but at least they can cut their teeth in an environment that's slightly less volatile with this partner. And so... They took the shift data and requirements for operation and they turned that into FTEs, FTE requirements and recommendations. So there were some shifts that were really hard, some off shifts that people typically did not want. So they changed some of those less desirable shifts from 12-hour shifts to 8-hour shifts to get better staffing. And through this offering, they were also able now to offer 4-hour shifts, which they hadn't really been able to do that before. So today, they have a, a pool of about 1,500 people that they wouldn't have been able to access before through this solution. So there's some numbers for you, Thomas. So they're scheduling about 100 full-time equivalents per day. And of course, some of those people would be working full-time, right? But what's so interesting is that a lot of GE Appliances employees who had left because they couldn't figure out how to make the shift and the timings work for them have now returned via this partner solution. And so 
the GE leadership are very pleased with the results. They will roll this out to additional lines and operations. And I think they're very happy with it and wish that they had done done it sooner. They use language like it's a no-brainer and this is really something that people should try. You know, it's not completely without flaw, Thomas, right? We're still going to get no-shows on occasion and there's still some volatility, but they're in a much better place because of this pilot and they've elected to go forward with further rollouts of it. Super cool example, Dana. And, you know, G Appliance, it sounds like there's a fair bit of change management that goes into this type of initiative. The payoff around wider employee pool, that more consistency of employee pool um, is pretty significant. So, yeah, really appreciate that one. And and we've covered a a bit of interesting ground today, right? We've covered this bit of ground around, okay, so why do we need to focus so much on the employee experience around flexibility about flexibility about how to maybe get started an example? But I always try to bring the podcast back as we close towards like, so what? So like, what should actually supply chain leaders, CSCOs be doing to, to get started? If you were to say one or two things to take away from today to try and enhance that frontline employee experience, what, what would that be for, for those listeners who are, who are on the line today? Sure. So a couple of things to think about, especially beyond flexibility, which we focused a lot of our talk on today. One of the things that that came up in the research in quite a bit of detail is how important that frontline manager of the frontline staff is and that we need to support them as well as the frontline teams that they that they lead. And so I would say that if you take away anything from our discussion today, you're clearly going to be focused on flexibility, but you should also look at the support and well-being of the first line manager was something that came up as a, a very important correlation between business performance and also attraction and retention. And also within that, if you wanted to get more specific about what we might mean, we talk about the connection between the manager and their team. And then we also talk about your peer relationships being really important for uh, well, they help you be a better performer, but they also provide all kinds of other support that make the team more more resilient. So that when people do look at this report, Thomas, I hope that the the section on the the first line managers and and the support that they need will get some focus because that's really where we deliver the employee experience for these frontline teams. And we did see in our data, and I'll close with this where we were able to provide well-being to these frontline workforces overall, that we saw correlations across the board with better retention and engagement and also performance. So the, the well-being is being invested in, it is yielding benefits for these workforces. And then the last thing I'll end with is I will bring it back down to flexibility because we saw of 10 out of 10 things that you could invest in for attraction and retention, that flexibility was number one or number two in terms of how successful it was in getting a better employee experience and retention. But it is number 10 of 10 in what employers are investing in. So just a couple of snapshots there, Thomas, that I hope people will explore further when they get a hold of the research. Thank you so much. 
Brilliant, Dana. And we've covered a lot of ground today, um, but you've guided us really well through some of those sort of key challenges, opportunities associated with the frontline employee experience. So really appreciate it. It's been great having you along. Thank you, Thomas. Always great to chat with you. <laughs> it sure is. It's, it's my pleasure, Dana. So thank you again. And of course, to our audience, a huge thank you to you for joining us for another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to find out more about this research, Gartner clients are welcome to engage Dana, her co-author Caroline Chumikov, and our other analysts more broadly via our inquiry service to further explore the concept of the frontline employee experience. I'd also strongly recommend reading the full report. Finally, if you've enjoyed our show today, please be sure to go to Gartner.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened to our podcasts, and give us a five-star rating as well as subscribe to make sure you're notified once our next podcast is released. My name's Thomas O'Connor, and I can't wait to be speaking with you all again soon on the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.